Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldersand, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 291-6901. And you use the area code here in Baton Rouge, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. We really appreciate it when you do. We always love hearing from folks all around the country. All around the world. There you go. <laughs> with the right code. There you go, wherever you are. I tell you, you got the right series of numbers. You can, you can do reach just, anything. Well, you can just about do anything <laughs> in, in this digital world. I'm telling you. <laughs> you can figure out how passwords and whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, let's go to our phone lines. We got Fred online. Good morning, Fred. Hey, good morning. Uh, yes, sir. Good morning, Pete. Good morning. A question about a 2007 Chevrolet Suburban. Okay. I'll tell you what happened this morning, and I can give you some past history. Sure. So, this morning, went to start it, started it up, and kind of... It showed the message, in, engine power reduced, uh-huh. and uh, my wife turned it off, and then went to start it again, and it wouldn't even turn over. A little bit later, went out, started it, starts out like nothing's wrong. Now, huh. then it, uh, you know, I came out and looked at it again, started it up, about the only quirky thing it did was it started up like there's nothing wrong, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it stumbled real quick, like it shut off completely, and mm-hmm. then turned right back on. Right, uh, yeah. Almost every time you get that reduced engine power Fred, it's going to be one of two things. Well, it's always one thing. It's generally going to be a throttle body problem of some sort. And see, that has drive-by-wire. And it was the accelerator pedal is not connected to the throttle body at all. It's got, manual, manual. Yeah. got two sensors in the accelerator pedal and two sensors in the throttle body. When those four sensors do not correlate for some reason, that's when it's going to reduce power. It's going to shut the throttle body down, and all this stuff comes about. Now, Again, we have an equal number of problems with the throttle bodies and with the accelerator pedals. So it could be either one. What you would need to do is bring it in. We hook a GM scan tool to it, and we can read. It'll have a code set. Even if the light's not on anymore, it, the code will still be in memory. And it's going to be a correlation error. Then you have to go in with a scope and kind of work both sensors, read both sensors, see which sensor it is that's not correlating. And it's also possible that it can be a wire. We have changed a few of the wiring harnesses where the wires would get loose, but that's generally after some repair has been done in the area. Somebody's unplugged it, replugged it, and stretched the terminals out on or something. We'll have to change those pigtails. One other thing that could have happened, I know it got really cold last night, real close to freezing. If there was any moisture in the throttle body and that throttle body stuck or bound when you went to start it, it could set that message. Because when it starts, it's going to move that throttle body a little bit one way or the other. If anything restricts that motion, then it's going to throw that message as well. Have you had a check engine light on before in the la- in uh, recent weeks or so? Not at all, and this is the first time I think it's shown that message. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. About, I, pretty common problem same, on that engine, though. It did the same thing three, four weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I was out of state, and I went and I started it up, and all of a sudden it started stumbling and stuttering and shut off right. a couple of times. And it wasn't on empty, but it was below a quarter. And I said, well, maybe the gas gauge out of alignment. And I went and filled up with mm-hmm. premium gas in it. Didn't have that problem. Yeah, uh, more likely it, it's just the fact that it warmed up in yeah. the meantime. That sounds like a problem that's occurring when it's cold. And, again, the throttle body or the accelerator pedal could do it, either one. You're just going to need to get that in and let's run the codes and see okay. what the code indicates, put a scope Deep. on it. And if it's, why, would, why would it act like a dead battery? That may be two different problems. That may be a different problem. It may shut the start down if it thinks it's a bad enough problem. I mean, the computer can pretty Uh much do whatever it wants to do. You know, when you're turning your key to start it, 
you're not running power to the starter like you did years ago. You're running a signal to the body control module. The body control module is ground yeah. a relay, and the relay is enabling the starter. Okay. So it is possible as two separate problems. It is even possible there's an electrical issue going on that's bringing on the throttle right. body problem. I've seen well, that seen that before. Mm-hmm. I've had some goofy electrical issues with the locks and stuff. You know, it's like sometimes they don't want to shut. Sometimes it says the doors open when it's not. Yeah, they no. have had a good yeah. deal of trouble with that. All the later model GMs, and a lot of times that's that little module in the door lock, the door lock module, and that it'll start locking when it shouldn't and unlocking when it shouldn't and all that kind of craziness. But I mean, it is possible there is an electrical issue going on, a little gremlin in there, because again, when you start the car it's going to look at these sensors and it's looking for an electrical signal if let's say your base voltage is supposed to be 12 and a half and it's really 14 or maybe it's 11 and a half yeah it may disturb those readings enough to where those sensors don't correlate any longer which can okay. throw a false code you know so it could be a number of different things it's going to start out the same way you're going to have to see what code is stored and then you have to put a scope on it to read the sensors and see what the sensors are reading because yeah. you can't look at them and you can't even measure them with any kind of voltmeter because it's a digital, it's a square wave, a pulse width modulated signal. It's not okay. anything you can read with a voltmeter or anything. So you have to watch those signals, see why they're not correlating. And that may end up in the shop for a couple of days yeah. if it's intermittent because you have to be able to duplicate it. Right. Now, when it happened three weeks ago, was it very cold, ambient temperature? It had just gotten chilly i was up in north mississippi mm-hmm. it got cold that morning mm-hmm. yeah and see unfortunately it it's supposed to warm up next week so it may be difficult to duplicate if it does not do it again once it warms up you might want to just wait until it gets cold again and see and if so it's very likely gonna be some kind of electrical issue because that's generally related to hot and cold temperatures okay all righty all right look thanks sir. okay man uh, give you a call. thanks okay. fred bye-bye right, bye all right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive fire, we'd certainly love to have you. And, you know, those little gremlins are, are hard to to get fixed sometimes. Yeah, they can be almost impossible, particularly if they only occur at a very low ambient temperature, which in south Louisiana we don't see Not very often. often. I mean, right. this weekend has been just unusual in that it went down into the low 30s. Sure. And I know people around the country are kind of laughing, <laughs> laughing at, us, yeah. <laughs> at that, but... That's very unusual here. In it fact, is. we had some visitors from New York State who were in here. So I thought it was supposed to be warm down here. <laughs> I said, well, generally it's in the 60s and 70s this time of year. But, uh, right. yeah, it is unusually cold. And that unusual cold will bring on just all kinds of little gremlins. And the problem is you bring it in and the temperature goes back up. And they just won't occur. Right. And something like electrical problem, mm-hmm. it's... You can't fix it if it's working. Yeah. You know, you, you it's hard can't, to measure. You can't even working. find it because all you do is you check and it just checks good. Sure. You put a scope on it. The patterns are good. Everything reads perfectly. There's just no way to duplicate it. As far as it. you can go with it till you can get it to duplicate again. Last week, we had a little Toyota came in with a starting problem with a starter. With the guy said it was making a tremendous noise. Uh-huh. Must have started 40 or 50 times. Oh, yeah. Never would do it. Finally, he came by and tried it himself. and Said it's working fine now. So. Just couldn't get it to duplicate. And you could suspect, well, it's probably the starter, but... Yeah, but a starter for a Toyota is a couple hundred bucks. dollars probably. You know, right. you can't just do that. You need to duplicate it and see what it's doing. But, sure. yeah, intermittent problems like that can really be the devil to, to try find. to get fixed. Yeah, yeah it, I know it's annoying to the customer, but it's annoying it to the shop as well. Yeah, definitely. It's just the way they build them nowadays. Let's go back to our phone line with Bill. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Doing wonderful, sir. Doing great. I have a 2011 Dodge Ram Dakota. Mm-hmm. And the problem I've had was ever since I, I bought it, 
used. I kind of had an accident where I buried it in a, a deep mud hole mm-hmm. and had to get it pulled out. But ever since that, I've had a check engine light come on, and it always tells me bad gas cap. And whenever I fill it up with gas, mm-hmm. it wants to spit the gas back out. Yeah, it keeps right. cutting off on you. Yes. Yeah, very and, likely. Bill, that one has got a very obscure system on it. Back, That's about the time that Mercedes had a good bit of affiliation with Dodge. And they used a European-style evaporative emission system, monitoring system on it, which is kind of foreign to the United States. But the way it works, it's got a pump on there called a leak detection pump. It's got a couple solenoids. It's got a bunch of hoses. And it's going to be in that system. And the code may say gas cap, but it doesn't really mean gas cap. It just means that it can't see a pressure change when it wants a pressure change. I wish they'd get away from trying right. to guess at these codes and send information out because it just causes people a lot of grief. But it could be anything. There's a pressure sensor in the tank. The pressure sensor could be bad or intermittently bad where it's not reading. It could be the pump itself. They go bad constantly. It could be one of the lines is cracked or broken or damaged in some way, shape, or form. There's a charcoal canister on there that will go out. That will also cause the gas yeah, to the, blow back up. Right. So it's all going to be related. You know, the, the cutting off of the nozzle and all that's all related to that emissions system. What you would have to do is go in with, again, a scan tool, start out with the code that you got, but you can't take the code literally. You have to go in and start duplicating the different conditions. For instance, we put a smoke machine on it, which fills the system with smoke, and you can check for any minute leaks. If you can see oh, okay. smoke coming out, you can find a leak at, that you wouldn't be able to right. find any other possible way. And when I say a small leak, like two inches of vacuum, that's two inches of water right. of vacuum over about a five-minute period will flag that light. And that's an almost unimaginable oh. small leak. You're not ever going to find that any other way. But you need to smoke test it, make sure it's not a leak, verify that all the solenoids are working, verify the pump is working, verify the sensors are working. And among all that, you will find the problem. It's going to be in there. It's probably way over the head of most do-it-yourselfers, even a very handy do-it-yourselfer. It gives automotive shops fits to diagnose that system because it's just a very complex system. Okay. Well, thank you very uh, much for your All right. Help. All right. Thanks, man. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number. We're going to see if we can catch one more line before our break. We got Reggie online. Good morning, Reggie. Good morning, sir. How yes, are you? Sir. Doing Good great, morning. Sir. Two quick questions for sure. you. How long should I let my truck warm up in the morning before I start it up? I mean, before I take off in it. Yeah, you really don't have to warm them up, particularly in this area. You, you live in Louisiana, Reggie? Yes, I do. It has some cold winters. Yeah, but, that, yeah, but that's not cold enough to really affect that thing. It's Today's modern cars, yeah, they're, the computer is going to automatically do everything it needs to do. It's going to automatically speed the idle up like it needs to. It's going to do all the things that it needs to do, whether you warm it up or not. So I am real mixed on that. I know some people like to do it. I don't guess it really hurts anything to, to let it warm up if you want to, but you really don't have to. You can just, when you start it, let it run five seconds. It's done everything it's going to do. Go ahead and put it in gear and go. All righty. All Next right. question. Yes, sir. My brother has a 325, no, 318i, 1980 BMW. Mm-hmm. been sitting there for seven years. Wow. Mm. I was supposed to get it from him. He's the only one who drove it. It's in good sh- The body's in excellent shape. It's covered in a garage. Mm-hmm. been sitting up in California, dry weather. Mm-hmm. Your recommendations, get it f- totally torn down out there or try to tow it back here and get it done? Because if uh, I tore it uh, down up there, I'm going to drive it back here. Yeah. Reggie, it's a car you just hell bit to fix. <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing. It's never been wrecked. Yeah, I know. But, but sitting up that long, yeah. 
man, it's going to have so many little long-term collateral issues. It's sort of like a person who goes into a coma and lays up for seven years and then all of a sudden wakes up one day. I know on TV they show them out playing baseball the next day, but in reality that doesn't occur. What happens is that all their muscles have deteriorated, their joints have gotten tight, on and on and on and on, and it's ten times worse on a car. I mean, the, the shock absorbers have been sitting in one position, so the little rings on the pistons have etched into the bores. So as soon as it starts to move, not immediately, but soon thereafter, all the struts are leaking on it. All the seals have gotten hard, and the, whatever they're resting against are sitting in one position. The wheel bearings, the same thing. On and on and on and on and on it goes. I mean, if you absolutely love this car, you just got to have it. It's not anything that couldn't be fixed, but the long-term gotta... probability of repeated problems on a car that's been stored that long, even in stored inside and all that, are just real, real, real high. Most likely, it's going to turn into a money pit on you. Mm-hmm. Now... That being said, to get to your original question, I would probably have the car transported here for a number of reasons. Number one, you're not going to have that much work done and then drive the car across country. Just too likely to break down somewhere along the line. Number two, if you have it fixed out there, you come back here and you have a problem, what do you do about warranty? So I would certainly have the car transported back to where you live to have it repaired. And not only that, but the the labor rates are going to be somewhat lower here, so you could probably... I'm not going to say you'll save enough to pay for the transport in the car, but it's going to be considerably less expensive to have it done here. And that way you've got the luxury of driving around short trips for a while until you see how reliable it is. And then also you got somebody to handle a warranty if you have an issue. I thank you. That's a good, now that aspect to it, I appreciate it. Very All right, Reggie. All right. All right thank you, man. Bye-bye. All right, we've got to take a quick little break. We will be right back with a whole lot more. Ever plan to move west? Bad dream last night. Girl, me too. I was out on a date with Matthew McConaughey. Well, that doesn't sound too bad. But literally, all he could say was, all right, all right, all right. Still, it's... In auto-tune. All right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. Over and over and over. Oh, it was a nightmare. What about you? I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at AGCO, which cost me thousands in repair. Now that's scary. AGCO Automotive's general inspection is the best way to make sure your car performs at its peak and you're not surprised by any major repairs. Bring your vehicle in once a year and we'll recommend any maintenance. We can even help decide if it's worth fixing or time for you to purchase another. My dream was scary, but yours was, uh, all wrong, all wrong, all wrong. <laughs> Okay, are you finished now? Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us at the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. We certainly appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. If there's anything we can do for you, you give us a call. It's 291-6901. Got all our lines wide open. That's right. And should you happen to miss your opportunity to get a live answer today, you can always get your questions answered by visiting our website, which is agcoauto.com. The website address is agcoauto.com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, and it's going to bring up a little form you can fill out with the vehicle information and the problem you're having and you just click the button and send it on in to us lewis will get back to you within 24 hours there you go and couldn't be any easier than that 
always answer all the emails. So if you have not received an answer from me, check your return address. Make sure you typed it in correctly. Because if you get one character wrong and I send it, it's just going to pop back to me. And that's about as far as I can go. And also check your spam folder because some of the servers have the security settings fairly high. And when they see something coming from a server that sends out a lot of email, they may right. consider it to be junk or whatever. So check your spam folder. Make sure it didn't get get put there. Dashed away into there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I had a guy who called and kind of said, man, I've emailed three times. I hadn't got it. And, and they told me, and he called, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> there are three replies in there. So. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I've seen where that happens what security settings do they're looking for a number of things and when they see a server that sends out a lot of email uh-huh. like ours does they're going to be suspect of it anyway right unless people are requesting that information and that can definitely happen to you so if you hadn't gotten an answer back just check those things make sure that you, it's not like that because i never avoid an email i never refuse to answer an email uh-huh. i always answer everyone that comes through correct and that's uh that's, that's what you need to do with that. We were uh, talking <clears throat> to the earlier listeners about some of the things that uh, weather brings on and all that. And I noticed this morning, again, I don't want to beat it to death, but you know, it's unusually cold for us in this area. I noticed this morning when I was driving in, my temperature gauge was about maybe an eighth of the gauge further towards cold than it normally is. Right. And I know we get people all the time and when they see a gauge that has moved from where it normally is they're worried about it sure and certainly that is a warning sign in some cases but again you have to remember that when you're in a unusual situation like a much colder outside ambient temperature even with a thermostat and all that, your engine is probably not going to get to the same exact temperature that it does right it doesn't have to yeah because it's not trying to cool a 110 degree weather right where it's trying to cool in a 30 degree weather so it's going to read a little different the same thing when it's very hot outside that gauge may read slightly hotter than it does when it's normal ambient but that doesn't indicate a problem there's a range over which the gauge is going to travel and you have to familiarize yourself with those ranges if not you can always be bringing the car in suspecting a problem right and we do get that quite a bit we do I know when this new Chevrolet, I say new, the, the modern Silverado Sierra series of the Chevrolet trucks came out, they have a five-stage mode Char- charging strategy on them. And right. so the voltmeter moves around quite a bit. It can go anywhere from about 11.5 volts up to about 14 volts, depending on the mode it's in at the time. And that gauge has a short throw in it, so a lot of movement in that needle. That little bit of voltage is a good bit of movement in that needle. That's right. And it alarms people very often. They'll run my car, well, it's always red, da 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 Well, okay, but it's, it's still within the normal parameter. It's just in a different charge mode right, right. now. And they've got a different charging strategy for just normal, everyday driving. They do. If you're in tow mode. Tow there's, a, there's a different one. completely different charging system. Cold weather brings on another one. Right. Driving for a long distance when the battery's completely charged, it'll go to a different one. If it's been discharged, it goes to a anti-sulfation mode, which is a different strategy, and that gauge will read different on every single one. Correct. So I'm not saying at all to disregard your gauges. And, again, when a gauge changes, it does mean you need to kind of take note of it, but you don't have to get overly alarmed every time you see a gauge move. Uh-huh. First off, those are not precision instruments. Right. 
a it's, gauge it's in a car is it's better you know, than a light, better than a light, but, but not it's not a as whole good lot. as a lab instrument. Yeah, it's not really a precision instrument. Another thing is they tend to degrade over time. They do. I've noticed the Chevrolet or General Motors products, particularly. This thing may have always read a certain way, and then as the vehicle gets older, that starts to change, and the gauge is just getting weak in them, mm-hmm. and so they won't read exactly like they did. I know we had a gentleman who had a Hummer, and he had had it for a number of years, and he said it seems to be running hot by the gauge, but it doesn't feel like it's hot. Okay. So we put a thermometer in the neck of the radiator, and it was 195 degrees, but the gauge was reading about 217. Okay. Now, it had always read down around 200, but it's just the gauge had changed its its range. And like I told him, we could replace the instrument cluster, or you can just allow that this gauge is going to read a little little higher now. Right. And, you know, it's not overheated. It is the normal temperature. It's just the gauge has started to read differently. So and it, that could be brought on by a bad sending unit. It could be. It could be a bad gauge mm-hmm. or a, not a bad gauge, but let's say, a, like a, you explained a earlier, gauge. a weak gauge. Our gauge just moved off calibration, and he had replaced the sending unit in this one, and uh-huh. it still read higher than normal. So he got a bit alarmed, which is wise. Sure. You don't want to just disregard the fact that it's running 20 degrees hotter than it used to. But once you check everything and everything is normal, then you have to decide just take into to consideration. what extent do I want to go to make this thing read like it always did before. Right. Do I want to replace the instrument cluster, which on that vehicle is a $600 plus repair, or do I just want to allow that this is normal now and I got a new normal? Right. (laughs) Normal has changed. That's right. We see the same thing on all pressure gauges, even fuel gauges to a lesser degree. Yeah. We'll see that where they'll change over time. And another thing, a lot of folks have a tachometer in their car, and they're really not, aware of what that is it's just a little gauge that kind of moves around a lot and they may pay some attention to it they may not people who are more vehicle enthusiasts tend to pay a lot more attention to that than people who are non-techie kind of people but a tachometer can tell you a lot of information it can even give you a early warning sign of a transmission problem so we're going to talk about that when we get back from our break, exactly how you can use a tachometer if you get used to the way it works to detect if you may be having a transmission problem. That sounds great. Be back with a whole lot more in just a minute. Oh, I had a bad dream the other night. Can't be worse than mine. I was buried up to my neck in the desert, surrounded by an army of prairie dogs, and their leader rides up. Rides? Yep. It's Yule Brenner, and he orders me to eat this huge mound of candy corn. So all the prairie dogs line up and feed it to me piece by piece. I'll never look at that Halloween confectionery the same again. What about you? Well, I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at Agco, and my car left me stranded on I-10. Now that's scary. Agco Automotive is here with the best way to keep up with car maintenance. Get our annual general inspection. You pick the month, we check out your vehicle and recommend any maintenance you may need, which can save you costly repairs down the road. That was a freaky dream. Were you on medication, or did you eat anything strange? Uh, yeah, I actually ate a whole bag of candy corn left over from Halloween 2014. Oh. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. You join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Of course, we were talking about dash gauges and what they mean, that sort of thing today, but we'll take a question on any call you might have. That we will. 
as always, do not have to call in on what the topic we're discussing might happen to be. Whatever's bugging you, you give us a call. We try to help you out and point you in the right direction. We were talking just before the break about a tachometer. And what a tachometer indicates is RPM, which, which is, is revolutions, revolutions per, per minute. minute. Correct. And that's how fast the engine is rotating. Mm-hmm. And what it does, you'll notice that when the car is sitting at an idle, depending on what kind of car you have, that gauge will normally be down around 550, 600 RPM. Sometimes up to 750. Maybe 750. Now, when it is cold outside, like this morning, if you crank it up, it will very likely jump immediately to almost 1,200 RPM. Right. Reason being is that it has a sensor, and it knows when it's cold out, and it is going to speed the engine up so that the oil pressure can build faster, so it can build oil pressure, and it can warm up, sort of like our first caller today, or maybe second caller. He was talking about allowing the engine to warm up, and right. that's one of the things that it does. It takes the place of the old carburetor choke. That's right. Basically, the choke did the same thing. When the engine was cold, a thermostatic lever mm-hmm. coil moved, and it closed the throttle down some at the top and choked the air back. It pulled more fuel in, and therefore it ran faster and it warmed up. Right. As Call it warmed fast up. Fast idle. Right. And th- basically the computer system now does that for you. Mm-hmm. And it can do it so much more efficiently. Oh, most definitely. It does a really good job of it. But the RPM will change is the point that right. I, I was trying to make. But what you will also notice when you start to drive the car is that the RPM will start to go up as you go faster. But when the transmission shifts gear, it will drop back down. Sure. Because the reason we have gears in a transmission or a CVT or whatever, don't have gears in a CVT, but the reason we vary that output RPM. between the engine and the final drive of the vehicle is because engines operate efficiently within a very narrow range of RPM. Correct. That engine may be able to turn from 500 to 5,000 RPM. But it is not going to be efficient at 500. It's not going to be efficient at 5,000. It's got a little sweet range in there. Let's say it's 2,000 RPM. That's where it's going to run at its most efficient. Well, the transmission and the rear differential gearing is designed that such that it will keep it in that range as much as it can. So what happens, if you remember your old 10-speed bicycle, you were going along and you're pedaling real fast and then you shift to a different gear. Well, now you could pedal slower and still maintain the same speed. Correct. Same thing with the transmission. When it keeps shifting gears, it allows the engine to slow its speed down and still maintain vehicle speed. And run in that sweet spot that of RPMs sweet we were talking spot about. spot of RPM where it's going to get the best emissions and the best fuel mileage. And that's where all your 6 and 8, and sometimes I think they're coming out with a now 10-speed automatic transmission. That's right. That is the range they're trying to keep it in. They're trying to keep it in a very narrow range of RPM. And the reason, more so than economy, is to meet the EPA emission standards. They're starting to test. At one time, they would test emissions sitting on a test stand with the engine just sitting there running, and if it met those standards, that was great. But now they're doing more live testing where they're real-world conditions. Mm -hmm. So in order to meet the standards they have to meet, they have to keep the engine within a narrow range of RPM. That's another reason that CVTs have become popular, because a CVT can basically vary infinitely, and it can keep that engine in a very narrow range. Now, all that said, that's not necessarily in the best interest of the customer no. because CVTs are not as durable as the old transmissions, at least not now they're not. Maybe they will be one day. And 6, 8, 10-speed transmissions are incredibly complex and very, very expensive. So 
in my opinion, the driver does not get the cost benefit there. The, the cost benefit's way out of range with what you're spending a lot more money for what you're gaining. Right. But that's a whole nother story for a whole nother day. <laughs> but if you get used to watching the tachometer as your transmission shifts gears, what you will notice is that when it's in the first gear, your RPM come up, it shifts and it drops back down. Then it goes to second gear, it'll rise, and when the shift is made, it'll drop back down, third gear, fourth gear, and so on. Finally, you hit your high gear. Now it's going to stabilize. However, there's one more thing that occurs that a lot of people are not familiar with, and that's when the torque converter goes to lockup. Right, which is a one-to-one connection between the engine and the transmission. Right. It feels almost like a shift in another gear, but it's really not. And the RPM will drop 1 to 200 RPM when it occurs. Mm-hmm. But what's happening is there's a clutch inside the torque converter. A torque converter is sort of like an automatic clutch. What it does, it allows the engine to turn with the vehicle not moving. When you're sitting still, the motor's still running, and the torque converter slipping. It allows the engine to run with the car sitting still. But when you start to go down the road and you get into high gear, you don't want it to slip anymore. So this clutch closes inside of the torque converter, which locks it. Right. And that's why it's called lockup. Once it locks, now it's going to transmit direct torque, and it's not going to slip anymore, which is a good thing because it's going to increase your mileage, it's going to increase your power. A lot of people are confused. They think that's another gear mm-hmm. because it does feel very some, similar some to Some vehicles gear. do. Mm-hmm. The way you can tell that it is in lockup is if you're driving along maybe 60 mile an hour and you watch your RPM, hold your speed exactly the same, Take your other foot and just touch the brake pedal lightly because when it sees the brakes being applied, it's going to come out of lockup. It's anticipating the vehicle stopping. If you just lightly touch your brake pedal, the RPM will jump up 1 to 200 RPM. That's because the torque converters come out of lockup, and that's how you can tell it's working properly. And then as you're driving down the road with your foot off the brake, you can watch it, and it will drop back down when it locks back in. It'll go back in the lockup, and then RPM will come back down 1 to 200. So if you get accustomed to watching the tachometer how much change you get in each gear mm-hmm. and what the rpm are supposed to be at a certain speed for instance most people when they're on the highway drive somewhere around 70 miles an hour right the nice guys like me drive 70 <laughs> <laughs> i know some of them most drive 80 you, yeah <laughs> most time you get past like you're sitting still yeah, yeah that's, I, I don't think my car's died you're exactly flying by me but at 70 mile per hour my RPM are going to be right around 1800 on my car. Uh That's normal for it. So let's say I'm watching that. And again, I don't sit there and constantly monitor it, but I do occasionally look at it. And all of a sudden that goes to 2200 RPM. That is a sign of a a problem in my transmission. Either it's not going in the lockup when it should, or it may even be in a lower gear than it should be. Right. Another thing you can watch is when the shifts occur. And they start to occur at a different range from where they normally occur relative to miles per hour. That can indicate a problem. Now, it learns that, and it learns that based on the way you drive. Right. If you are an aggressive driver, then the RPM are going to rise higher before the car shifts. The shifts are going to be a person hard. who is an old Paul Paul driver like myself. Right. The shifts are also going to be a lot harder. It's going to shift more firmly. Because it has learned that you're an aggressive driver. This is the way you want it to shift. So 
it's going to try to make more horsepower. Mm -hmm. And it does that by increasing RPM, but it does it at the expense of consuming more fuel and giving you a harsher shift. What you will also notice is if your battery goes dead, your car may shift differently than it did before because once the battery is disconnected or it goes dead, it is going to lose all these shift adapts. Now, it will eventually learn them based on the way you drive. If you drive it, it's going to start to adapt to you again, and it will learn all that again. So it's not the end of the world when you lose it. But it is important to realize that it is going to shift differently after the battery goes dead or after you change the battery. Mm -hmm. Now, another thing is we are talking about idle speed earlier. Uh, Idle speed is also a learned function. Correct. And like you said, if you disconnect the battery or the battery loses voltage, it will change. It will idle differently until it relearns. And there's really a procedure you should go through to relearn the idle. You can make it learn faster. If you go through it, usually normal driving, it will go it'll ahead learn, and relearn. Yeah, it'll learn anyway. With the possible exception, on a lot of vehicles, if the throttle body is very dirty. Now, it may the battery may have been in there for three years. Mm-hmm. The throttle body is pretty dirty, but it's already learned idle. Right. And it's it just, also learned that the throttle body's dirty. Right. It compensated it for compensated it. It compensated for that a little bit every day because it didn't Change start out, out clean one day and get dirty next. Right. It got dirty over the last three years. And it has learned that because adapted to it as it goes along. Now, you disconnect the battery. It loses idle. It comes back, and that throttle plate can't close all the way because of this little layer of carbon that's built up on it. It may not be able to learn idle. And it'll start dying on you. It'll start idling rough. It'll mm-hmm. start doing all these things. And then you have to go in, clean the throttle body, and relearn. And there is a special cleaner you have to use because if you use anything else other than this throttle body cleaner, the chemicals will eat the anodization off of the throttle plate, and it will start leaking air through the throttle plate, which is an unmetered source of air. Well, it's like a big vacuum leak is what it is. The throttle bodies are generally made out of a casting of some sort, either aluminum or some type of pot metal or whatever, and that casting is generally going to be somewhat porous right and the manufacturers realize this so they they anodize anodize the throttle body to number one seal it also to make it more resistant to carbon buildup and all those things Mm -hmm. they'll put maybe a nickel coating or whatever type of metal they decide to anodize this throttle body with it helps to keep it clean and it also seals it now if you take something very harsh and you spray down in there it's a very 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 thin layer of metal it may be a half thousand thick you can eat that away any type of caustic chemical is going to eat that away and when it does number one the throttle body is going to start getting dirty a lot faster because it's no longer anodized and it may leak right through that throttle body it can also leave a little ridge that the throttle plate can catch on and, and cause it, right like we were talking to the first customer uh customer <laughs> the first caller this morning the throttle plate could hang up mm-hmm. and that will also throw a it'll throw a code between the sensors and go to reduce power that's right and you know we we're talking again same guy and if a little moisture got in there for whatever reason if the car was driven on a number of shorter trips the PC system is sucking the fumes out of the crankcase. In cold weather, you get a lot more moisture buildup in the crankcase. It's sure. sucking that up. Moisture can build up in the throttle body in colder weather. And if it gets cold enough, it can freeze. And when it does... It hangs the throttle plate. Yeah. Any resistance on this throttle when it starts trying to go through its little home-in procedure, and it's going to throw you in a... Reduced power mode. Reduced power mode. Simply because it doesn't want the car to take off... Uncontrollable. Uncontrolled acceleration. Right. So... 
they are really paranoid about that since all those reputed stories of throttles sticking yeah. off back I mean, four or five years ago. It's a nice system. I personally don't like it. Mm-hmm. I like the cable. my foot hooked to a cable hooked <laughs> to the accelerator lever. That's just me. Mm-hmm. But I can see where all this stuff is going. It's getting more and more technical and more and more adapted toward a vehicle that doesn't need an engine. Right. Well, they can do so many things with that that they can't do with a cable. You know, for instance, with a cable, basically the throttle body is a input to the computer. It's right. telling it's, the computer, I've got this much on? throttle. I want you to do this and this and this with a throttle position sensor. With a drive-by-wire, the throttle body becomes an output from the computer. Mm-hmm. So they can do cool things like limit miles per hour. You know, most right. newer cars will only go so fast. And I don't know, it varies from car to car. I think some of them are around 112 miles an hour or whatever, but it won't go any faster than that, mm-hmm. even though it has enough power, even no, though it could. It has the capability, but yeah. it just is programmed When it gets not to there, to. it's not going to go any faster. Another thing, some of them will ignore excessive RPM. Right. If you Especially sit there and just put the accelerator to the floor, it's not going to just run away. It's going to get to a certain RPM and it's going to cut back. Right. It just won't allow the engine to um, go any faster. Some of them, we sitting in park, mm-hmm. won't let you accelerate, accelerate them the like car. that. Because race the engine when you when you start racing the engine like that you're producing a lot of emissions right what happens they, you know, they can call that back yeah it's called a punch through and that is when a huge amount of exhaust hits that cat at one time it, it tends to punch right through it right and it can blow nitrate oxide oxide yeah <laughs> right through that converter polluting the air and they don't want that so it may just ignore you if you sit there and just try to uh-huh. race the pedal with it sitting still there's a lot of things in today's cars that will ignore the driver yeah override yeah. the driver right. And you know, one thing, if you turned your air conditioner on this morning. Yeah, it's it, going to say, no, we're not going to run the AC yeah, this morning. 33 degrees outside. I mean, it may turn the fan on. It may make you think the air conditioner's yeah. <laughs> on, but the compressor is not coming on. Right. Because it knows that you can get what they call slugging. That is where oil can get too thick, and it can there. go through and damage the compressor. It's just not going to allow the compressor to come on. Uh-huh. Hey, we're going to take one final quick little break. We'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Man, I had a bad dream the other night. Oh, me too. I was abducted by aliens, but they weren't little green men. They looked more like a cross between a chicken and a gremlin. Like the 80s movie? Yeah, so they take me up to this spaceship and onto this theater stage, and in the audience sits all the cats of my ex-girlfriends, and they're just sitting there judging me. Even Mr. Piddles, who I actually kind of liked. Oh, uh, what was your dream? I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at Agco and my car broke down. Now that's scary. Hey, at Agco Automotive, we know it's hard to keep up with maintenance. What do I do at 15,000 miles? What do I do at 75? We recommend an annual general inspection. Just pick a month and bring in the vehicle. We'll give it the once-over and can recommend any maintenance you may need before something causes bigger problems down the road. So did they take you to their leader? No, they made me watch a cat video reenactment of Steel Magnolias. It was horrible. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldersan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive question you might have. Still got some time. Why don't you give us calls, 291-6901. And you know, earlier we were talking about watching that RPM gauge, mm-hmm. and something occurred to me. When a vehicle makes a shift, those RPMs are going to come down. Mm-hmm. 
if the RPM goes up right. when you make a shift, then you may have some. You got something slipping in the drive line that needs to be addressed. That's exactly right. And so, so, so often, folks will come in and they'll say, particularly this happens during the summer, they'll say, my transmission is slipping. Uh-huh. And you say, what do you mean? Well, it's slipping. I can hear the engine going faster. What is the tachometer doing? Well, I never looked at the tachometer. And inevitably, what they've got is either a bad wheel bearing or a bad fan clutch. Right, fan clutch. And with a wheel bearing, you get that, it does sound like the motor's racing faster. With a bad fan clutch, that fan is drawing a tremendous amount of air. It sounds like the motor is just racing away. Right, because it's pulling so much more air than it should be at that point. Right, and people get fooled by that all the time. I've also seen an exhaust leak, and people think that transmission was going out. Okay. Now, if you get to the wrong person, if you get to an unscrupulous guy. You got a transmission. Yeah, you're going to get a transmission. Or if you just get on the phone and start calling around and say, how much is a rebuilt transmission? How about a re- you're going to get a rebuilt transmission. Yeah, you can find the guy with the lowest price. You can go to him. He's going to put a transmission in it. Because, number one, he ain't capable of diagnosing anything. Right. Yeah, you know, He wouldn't be the lowest price guy in town if he could diagnose <laughs> anything. I've seen also where a misfire gets diagnosed as a bad transmission sure. a lot of times they'll sure. say man my transmission is acting funny it's going up it's going down it's shifted back and forth and what it is it's an engine misfire but because the engine is operating at such a low rpm a misfire does not feel like a misfire it feels almost like a transmission problem uh-huh. very very hard to determine but if you watch the rpm you can often determine whether it is a transmission problem or not when that engine rpm shoots up and you're mashing the gas, and you're not going anywhere. Right. That's likely going to be a transmission problem. You know, if it goes from 2,000 to 4,000 RPM, the vehicle does not increase speed, or 2,000, 1,000 for that matter, and the vehicle does not increase speed, then you have probably got some type some, of a transmission issue going right. on. So by being aware of that, not only can you have an early warning sign of a transmission problem, you may avoid misdiagnosing something as a transmission problem that is not transmission-related at all. Exactly. Now, with transmissions, you got to remember these are electronic devices now, not at all like the transmissions we had 20 years ago. Now, they're all, all the shifting and everything is done based on inputs from sensors. On the engine. On the engine. Right. And some on the vehicle itself. But... Generally, shifting concerns, if you lose a gear, in other words, okay, it goes to first, it won't go to second, well, that's probably going to be something in terms of the transmission. Okay. It shifts first, second, and then just goes to neutral. That's probably going to be something in the transmission. Right. I put it in gear, the RPMs go up and down and move. That could be something in the transmission. But shifting concerns, where you're going down the road, you start to accelerate, and it shifts down. You let off, it shifts back up. Those are very often not going to be a transmission problem at all, even though they feel like it. More likely, that's going to be a running problem. And you never, ever, ever try to address any type of transmission shifting issue until you have that engine running properly. Right. Now, that being modern cars or older cars? Really on any car. Any car at all. Always get the engine running properly before ever addressing any type. Of a a transmission transmission. problem. Even though you are absolutely sure the transmission is gone out, you know it's bad, that's fine. Don't go get the transmission rebuilt until you get the engine running properly. At very least, the brand new transmission is not going to shift properly because it doesn't have the proper input. Correct. You know, there a few years back, there were some Fords that had a cable on them that was tied to the throttle body. 
and it was a kickdown cable. And it was also a pressure control cable. Correct. And this was before they went fully electronic. And what it would do is that when you would accelerate, it saw the throttle moving. It would boost the pressure to the clutches on the transmission to keep them from slipping. Right. Now, it was attached with a little urethane bushing. And that bushing would deteriorate over time. The cable would out. pop off. Well, when the cable popped off, what you would do is you would give it the gas, and it would go, but the RPM would come up more than they used to come up. Correct. Fairly subtle at first and then worse and worse. You could burn that transmission up in one day. Sure. Or less. Less than a day. Yeah, yeah. just a few times around the block even. You could burn the transmission up because it was slipping. Now, if you realized what was going on, got the car into the shop, they would take that little bushing out. They had a little aluminum bushing they put back in its place, put a washer, put a cotter pin through it. And readjusted problem, the cable. Problem was solved for under 50 hundred, bucks. Right. Yeah. If you drove the car around. It was a transmission. It was going to be a transmission and that little grommet. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and we used to get people all the time would call in and they say, my car is kind of sluggish. What kind of car do you have? Ford, Ford Taurus. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> what do you mean by sluggish? I mean, well, I give it the gas. It doesn't go like it. Okay. Stop. Have it towed in. Right. Do not drive. Well, it. it's still drive. No, no. Stop. Have it towed in. Exactly. And some did, but a lot didn't. didn't. They would come driving up and you'd pull the dipstick and the transmission fluid looked like roofing tar. Yeah. It was black as it could be and you could smell it was burnt and it already burned the transmission up in it. And if it didn't fail right then, you could go ahead and put the grommet in for you. But within the next two weeks to a month, they were going to be putting a transmission in that car. Yep. And it was all because they would not stop driving the car. You know, there are some times when you can go ahead and drive the car in, and there are some times when that $100 record bill is the bargain of the century. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're talking about a $100 $100 tow as opposed to a $3,000 transmission. Correct. Yeah, that's just not a... It's not something I want to take a gamble Well, on. it's not even a gamble there. That's uh, yeah, I don't yeah. know what you call that. That's worse than a casino. <laughs> that's worse than winning <laughs> the lottery. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, if you make yourself aware of what the tachometer is, what it does, how it operates. And most people, I realize, don't do that. They don't. And, and you don't have to be no. neurotic about it. You don't have to sit there and watch it constantly and watch everything that it does. But just roughly make yourself familiar with the way that it operates. There's a reason they put that gauge in there. Right. And, you know, like everything on a car, there are no unnecessary parts. They That's didn't put fact. that tachometer in there just because it looked cool. That's for If fact. they could have left it out, they'd have left it out. It's in there to give you an early warning. If you pay attention if to it and know attention. how to read it. It's also a very, very good diagnostic tool. Sure. You can easily tell whether your car is going in and out of lockup. Like we discussed thing. earlier. You can make sure your sh- transmission is shifting properly. It's not flaring between shifts. Mm-hmm. And you can most importantly tell the difference between a slipping transmission and several other things that sound like a slipping transmission. Exactly. Could save you a whole, whole, whole lot of money. money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hey, I see we are just about out of time. Got a couple more minutes. We got to start winding it on up. Tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and, of course, listening for every week. There you go. And, you know, go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, whether it may be Stitcher or iHeart or Podbean. There's dozens of servers out there. That's right. Whatever one you might choose. And if you will go to the written review, give us a written review. That's going to move us up in ranking because when folks go in looking for an automotive show, generally type in something like auto repair 
And it's going to look at the ones with the most positive reviews. It's going to bring Put those the, up first. Right. They're going to so, be at the top. There you go. More people can listen. More people listen. The longer we keep doing the show, they won't boot us out of here. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> My boss looks at that all the time. There you go. <laughs> Hey, tell everybody how much appreciate them listening this morning, every Saturday morning. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.